The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, I'm Suzanne Phillips, and thanks again for joining me on Psych Up Live. No matter what type of relationship you're in, there will be conflicts. If it is a marriage or a long-term romantic relationship, the rate of conflict goes up. The more more conflicts happen between couples because the stakes are higher, the expectations are greater, and getting one's way is too often tied to proof of love. Most couples need, but very few couples get, a course in conflict management. Our guest today, Keith Wilson, a psychotherapist in practice for 30 years, is going to give you a version of that. He'll be drawing upon his experience with countless couples and his important and very interesting book, Constructive Conflict, Building Something Good Out of All Those Arguments. Keith is a licensed mental health counselor, a certified alcohol and substance abuse counselor. In addition to Constructive Conflict, he's the author of The Road to Reconciliation, a comprehensive guide to peace when relationships go bad. He discussed that in a very interesting show on Psych Up Live in the past. His other book is How to Make an Apology You'll Never Have to Make Again. Now, Keith also works as a photographer. You can find his work on keithwilsonphotography.wordpress, and he's a novelist. His books include Intersections and Fate's Janitors, Mopping Up Madness, at a mental health clinic. Keith Wilson, it is my pleasure to welcome you back to Psych Up Live. And it's my pleasure to be here, Suzanne. Okay, so let's start. This is such an interesting book. What made you write this book, Keith? Well, I, I've been in practice for more than 30 years, and I've got to say that the one thing every one of my clients um, had in common, and I've seen all sorts of people for every kind of trouble there is. Um, but the one thing that they've all had in common is they've had a lot of conflict with the people they love. And I've wanted to uh, find a way to, to help them through this. I felt that many of them uh, lack some of the skills to be able to um, resolve or to um, regulate that conflict so it doesn't get out of control. Mm-hmm. And I looked around for um, uh, books for that. I, I felt that there were many good ones, but none of them really um, spoke in the language that I thought my clients uh, would better understand. And so I decided I was going to write it myself, um, uh, largely because there's just not enough time in a session to go through this um, mm-hmm. with the attention that, that it deserves. So. I hope that they could just uh, take the book and, and read it and, and learn and try to practice things themselves. Now, you say, in the book we're going to go through, you say, you know, people need to learn to regulate conflict. And you start out in the book by saying, it seems that people, when it comes to conflict, are into three categories. There's the couples who never stop battling. As you describe them, unless they break China or draw blood, they're not happy, and they either need a referee or an order of protection. That's one group. The second group dislike conflict so much they don't speak up at all. And so they tolerate injustice, exploitation, and they end up anxious. I mean, I've seen these folks too, depressed, even, even suffering from addictions. And the third group, they swing between not saying anything, repressing, or reprisal, getting even with respect to the conflict. So when you put them all together... You say, and I love this, conflict's like electricity. It can light things up, power change, or burn the house down. Actually, the question that you answer in this is, how do we regulate conflict? So let's help our listeners. Let's go through some of your steps, Keith. How do we regulate sure. conflict? Yeah. Well, the, the first thing 
uh, is probably the hardest of, of the, um, I think there's 14 steps that I have. Um, and and the, the first thing to do is to pay no attention to the alarm that's going off in your head. Um, you see, humans are social creatures. We um, have this uh, very exquisite instrument that tunes into whether the person we are with is working with us or is neutral or working against us. And um, we could probably tell, if, if you're paying attention, you could probably tell to the split second, for instance, when you're having a conversation with somebody, when you lose them. Um, and uh, when that happens, when we detect somebody is not working with us in some kind of fashion, uh, this alarm goes off in our heads and we often resort to uh, the fight or flight response because we think that uh, this person is betraying us. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, this instrument, which is very tuned into the other person's behavior, is not so well turned into uh, my behavior. Um, so if a person um, say says something kind of snaps at me, you know, I, I might very easily uh, interpret that as a, um, uh, a break in our alliance. But in truth, they're probably responding to something that I did and, and their alarm went off. So that's where uh, it gets important. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, that's where it gets confusing because, okay, so I'm, I'm watching and he's working so much that he never has time for us to have a social life. Now, that means I want a social life with him. But if I, yeah. if my alarm goes off and I say, you, you don't really care about our marriage or our social life, I've already entered it in an aggressive way with, with a blame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that right, once right, you're right, alone, you might, you might uh, go to him and say, I really miss you. <laughs> and That's and the then difference. the um, then the message and the tone is very different then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now you also say once that alarm goes off, we all have an uncanny way of picking the wrong place in the wrong time. People always fight before they're ready to go to bed. They're too tired to even think. Often after they've had a drink, and the worst is when there's an audience that are with other friends or family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, couples um, really, it's worthwhile to uh, have a conversation to determine just what is the right place and right time to have a conversation that's going to be difficult. Um, A lot of conversations turn bad, not because of what they were talking about or because of the... um, characteristics of the people involved, but because they, they kind of pick the wrong time and place. So, you know, some people are morning people, some are evening people, some, some do best if uh, they have a private place to talk about something different, uh, difficult. Some people uh, do best if they have a public place and, and uh, the, the public around them serves effectively to remind them to you know, control their voice and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's important to, to kind of find out for yourself. Um, but then, you know, while I say you got to pick the right time and place, you do have to pick a place. Uh, it, it's not a good idea to put off issues too long because you're trying to find the perfect time. Sometimes it requires the people just make the time and make the place so that mm-hmm. they can try to resolve uh, some conflict they have. Which is a very effective way of beginning to deal with conflicts. One thing mm-hmm. you say that goes along with this, that isn't that easy, but it seems like it really makes a difference, is that when you are going to sit down to talk about something that isn't working, you suggest something that I think we have to think about, because we don't automatically do this, you say, start with easy things. Start with things you're grateful for. Start with things that have had a positive outcome in the past. Most people don't do that. We go right into 
the thing that's aggravating us. Yeah, most people, it seems, um, don't start talking about the difficult thing until they've worked themselves up into a lather, uh, very upset and frustrated. And so they start the conversation right off the bat with the most uh, hard kind of thing to deal with. Uh, And this, of course, uh, puts their partner back on their heels and often gets them defensive and and nothing good happens after that. Uh, It's much better to begin with things that you already agree on. Um, I mean, for instance, the, 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 um, the wife who hasn't, uh, who's been missing her husband might uh, start off with, you know, uh, we used to love it when we went out dancing um, Mm -hmm. rather than starting, you know, you never take me dancing anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like resetting the memory um, of a positive before you're going to explore what's going on and what has happened. I mean, the, one of the things that reading the book does do is bring to the surface real ways of doing it different. So one mm-hmm. thing you talk about that that I think is very common is what you say, the difference between the 2020 rule and the 2080 rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of times when, a, when it appears that a person is uh, overreacting to something, um, they're actually reacting to something that's off the stage. Uh, so if... Um, your wife is late uh, to get ready to uh, go to a party or something, um, and, and, and you get upset at that. You're getting upset at that, but you're really getting upset about the, the million times before that that she was late. Um, mm. It's the pattern that, that you're upset at. But the trouble is, you know, she can't do anything about the other times right now. Uh, she, she can only do something about what's happening now. Um, you may also be getting upset about, um, you start thinking that you know, for the rest of your life, every single place you go to, you're going to be late. So you're, 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 you're dealing with the trouble in advance then. Um, so often when people um, remember this principle and um, if they're going to get upset about something, just get upset at the thing that the person can do something about, then it, it often helps them quite a bit. It, it can cut back their their um, uh, grievance by 80% sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then they can get started better and, and really uh, deal with the issue much better because because you're less upset. So one of the things that really resonated because I too have worked with couples for many, many years comes under your heading of know what you're asking. And you use as the example in the book uh, a um, spouse finding out that their partner has had an affair. Mm. And uh, I will tell you and you sort of hint at it and our listeners I'm sure could relate to this. If you realize suddenly that your partner has had an affair, it's an assault on your sense of the world, your sense of safety. It's an assault on you for thinking you knew and you didn't know. So it's the person's assaulted in terms of their reality and their world. And inevitably, they want to know details. They want to know, Mm -hmm. really, how did this happen to me on my watch and I didn't see it? And that's really a piece of it. We're almost out of time for this segment. We're going to continue with it. But one of the things that it's interesting because you are saying, and I think it's right, you have to really ask the real questions then. But the question I want to ask you, Keith, is it's very hard for the person to stop for a while asking some of the details. Now, I've said to people, if your life is now going to become one of you asking questions and him or her under house arrest, I don't think you've resolved anything. I I don't think anything good has come from this. So the question that, that we're going to look at on the other side of the break is, your very important way of asking them to consider 
what questions really bring them to a place where the affair doesn't have to be the tragedy of the marriage, but maybe the beginning of a better marriage. We're going to take a break and come right back. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Keith Wilson, a psychotherapist in practice for 30 years, and we're, we're talking about conflicts that couples have and constructive conflict. His book is Constructive Conflict, Build Something Good Out of All Those Arguments, We're coming back to speak about how you talk about an affair. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reingold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Bravehearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. On Read My Lips Radio, producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, invites you to eavesdrop on her live, unscripted conversations with smart, savvy, creative people as she discovers what makes them tick, where they find their inspiration, when creativity first became their passion, and how their creative process can inspire the rest of us to think out of the box. Enjoy, a.k.a. Radio Red's always lively, cool conversations with creatives. Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Oh, how those lips can talk. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. Here at Psych Up Live, we're talking to... Keith Wilson about constructive conflict and we were just on the question what happens when you find out let's make it you Keith you find out your wife's having an affair what do you, what do you have the urge to do what should you do that would be more constructive tell us about this well first of all I would probably uh, be nuts just like everybody else who's in this position uh, but um, it, once I finally came to myself and realized what was going on, um, I would realize um, that all these questions that I've been asking the person, um, many of which I don't really want to know, many times I get an answer that um, I regret getting because, you know, it gives me an image or whatever. Um, Really what all those questions boil down to is, can I trust you? Um, that's really the only question uh, that there is. And, and of course, the answer is also obvious. The answer is no, uh, I can't trust you. Um, so that's what all the questions really amount to. And if you're on the other end of this, if you're the one who had the affair and getting all these questions, um, you have to answer them in such a way that then builds trust. Um, so, so let me ask that you, often, Keith. Yeah, so, yeah. Keith, if you have a couple sitting in front of you, 
and okay, they want they came to you because they want to repair the marriage. Uh, he's learned about the affair. She's sorry about the affair, but he continues to ask the details. What actually do you say to him? I, I say, what would um, help you restore your trust in your partner? Well, I um, want to know what, what she I, did. I want to know what she did. All those Thursday yeah. nights that I thought she was going to the book club, I want to know what she was really doing. Yeah, well, that if that's the case, then, then that, that's, that's what would help restore trust. Um, usually, in that case, the, um, the injured party is, is not really asking it for the answers. They're, right. it, it's like a test to see if the person is going to be honest and, and, and forthright. If, if the um, party who had the affair is now being honest and forthright, then that will begin to build, build trust. But were they... If they dissemble or evade and, and all that kind of thing, then, uh, the, the, then the injured party is now learning, really can't trust. Um, and it's going to be a much longer road before trust can be rebuilt. Mm-hmm. How do couples get to the place or how do you help couples start to look at what was going on in the marriage before the affair? that mm-hmm. might lead them to a better place than the crime and punishment scene. Yeah, well, this, this kind of gets into uh, most of the material of my other book, um, uh, The Road to Reconciliation. Um, and this is a very long road. I, I think what has to happen is for the, the person who... Um, um, committed the injury to the relationship to kind of uh, back off a little bit at making excuses and really come to a place where he or she can take responsibility for whatever they did, despite the uh, precipitating factors. Mm-hmm. That is not to say there, there aren't any precipitating factors, okay, but... Um, they really need to, to take take responsibility. And, and meanwhile, the injured party um, uh, has to first start off by, by really counting up the injury and taking the injury seriously, but then to take a look at the broader context of it, um, mm-hmm. including other factors that might have led to the injury or, uh, you know, things that... The injured party did. Um, mm-hmm. Because the truth of the matter is, very, very rarely is there just one offender and one victim in these mm-hmm. matters. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's the vast majority. Uh, both people have, have, done, have done things that have uh, damaged the relationship. So going on that, if people are making a new start, that's where some of your, your suggestions really give them the tools one thing that we were talking about, and this very often maybe is the preface to the nightmare they're trying to resolve, is couples have the same fight over and over again, and mm-hmm. nothing really changes. How do we help people with that? Well, nothing changes because they haven't learned anything from each other with that same fight. They've been much more um, interested in expressing their point of view than they have been at, um, at, at listening and demonstrating their understanding of the other person's point of view. Mm-hmm. So when I uh, have a couple like that uh, in my office, <laughs> back when I used to see people in my office, uh, I pull out my talking stick. This is uh, a stick that whoever has the right to speak um, holds. Um, and... I asked that person to make a single point, a brief point, and then the other person then has to demonstrate their understanding of that point by paraphrasing it or summarizing it in some kind of way. And only when that second person adequately uh, demonstrates understanding, then they get the stick and they get to make their own single point. 
And this slows the conversation down uh, quite a bit. And it, it, it results in both parties not only hearing what the other has to say, uh, but also demonstrating that they hear it. Um, and it, that can often make, make all the difference. It, it really does make all the difference. I mean, if you can slow folks down so that I'm paraphrasing what you're saying to me, you already, you the speaker, have the instant feeling that a step has been made. I mean, you even say right. in the book, sometimes someone realizing, ah, she heard what I said. Ah, he heard what I said. That in, in and of itself is, is very productive and a very valuable communication skill. Then you use this mm-hmm. nice term. You say you have to add music to the words, meaning I should even say if I was talking to you across the table. So, Keith, you're telling me that when I go out with my girlfriends every night and we never have time together, you feel really bad about it. You really are missing me. At that point, Mm -hmm. now I've confirmed not only what's been upsetting you about me going out, I've even made reference to your feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if all you do is uh, paraphrase the content of what your partner said, you're doing a great great thing right there. Um, But um, graduate level, (laughs) uh, extra credit uh, kind of paraphrasing means that you paraphrase you, you reflect the person's feelings uh, so that not only what they say is, is, is being put back out there, but you're showing that you understand how they feel. Mm-hmm. You know, as man, many couples will get, go for coffee before or after they come for therapy. And so I was visualizing when I was reading about your talking stick, a, a, a salt shaker, and that when I have the salt shaker, I'm talking, mm-hmm. and then I pass it to you, and then you're talking. Because when you give folks a context, like um, one couple, it was the Starbucks. Someone else, it was they drove near the beach and talked. And the space mm-hmm. and the time, the possibility of talking in a way that's meaningful and building intimacy is really powerful. Now, mm-hmm. one of the things, oh, and if we if we have to stop, we'll come back right back to it. Let's talk about what you call, in quotes, calling out the fouls of an unfair fight. What are the four yeah. fouls, Keith? Well, the four fouls are defamation, defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. And and I should give credit where credit is due. This comes from the Gottmans, although they they have different names for some of them. I've kind of um, I've called this by by something different because I think folks can relate better uh, with my mm-hmm. language of fouls. Um, the the first one, uh, defamation, occurs when you say you always, or you never, or you're just a, a you know, wh- whatever the end of the sentence is. And that is defamation because you are defaming the person. You are uh, impugning that they are always this way when it is impossible for somebody to be always anything um, or never anything or anything like that. So so whenever you hear some of those words, then there's this there's probably defamation going on, and that gets people's backs up. Uh, that mm-hmm. gets people defensive when, when you say really more um, than than is actually true. When you're using that kind of hyperbole. Mm-hmm. So the second foul, um, and it usually, and the second one usually follows uh, defamation, and that is defensiveness, and that is when. You, you don't deal with the, mother, the matter at hand, but you're, you know, bringing it up, bringing up some other topic uh, to, um, to, to try and change the subject. Um, uh, and, and there's a million other ways of being defensive. Um, uh, one special way of being defensive is the third foul, uh, stonewalling, and that's where you just kind of go silence and, and not deal with the problem at all or... Um, give these vague, um, vague answers. And the final foul is probably the most serious, and that's, that's contempt. And when, um, 
you are expressing contempt or disgust to your partner um, uh, during an argument, that, that's a really hard thing to recover from because um, uh, in a loving relationship, uh, there's really no room for, for disgust and contempt. Um, there's much more room for, for acceptance. Yeah. Well, I think now, it, now, now just, the stonewalling, if I could add, it is a difficult matter because mm-hmm. if you do find that you're getting into a fight and nothing is going to come of it, it is probably a good idea to stop the conversation. Okay, so in that kind of manner, the stonewaller is correct. The conversation needs to be stopped. The problem is that the way they're doing it, they're not saying they're stopping because this is going bad. They're just kind of stopping. So the other person uh, gets very frustrated um, and, and, and really can't continue. Well, one thing you say in the book that I think is worth people knowing is that sometimes if a partner is not saying anything, it's worth accounting for the fact that this person, as you say, is so flooded They're not capable of saying anything. And if at that point the flooded person could say, I got to take a break, rather than just stonewalling, the other other might be helped. And if the other realizes you know your partners, if this person happens to be less verbal, if let's make it the man and the woman, I've had women follow men from room to room. The man is stonewalling because he's not saying anything. The poor guy is also overloaded. She's desperate, and she can out-talk him at any time in any place. So mm-hmm. I'll say, no matter how many rooms you follow him in, he's not going to come to the conclusion that now he knows what to say. But when you mm-hmm. say that if a couple realizes, well, the other one's flooded, let's take a break, and you say you can even use a word, have a word that means oh, we've got to stop right now and come back to this, it sounds very important. Yeah. The the other thing that I want I wanted us to go over is so let's suppose um and we should say from the Gottman research I think contempt was considered the the deal breaker when Gottman saw couples that were rolling their eyes which really is it's a kind of violence it's a putting of the other one down uh when he mm-hmm. saw the rolling of the eyes that's the couples he predicted were not going to make it am I right yeah, that's that's what he said, but I don't think it's it's certain by any point, uh, by any means. But it's uh, yeah, it, it's well, things have gotten pretty bad at this. And, and as yeah. it turns out, he was divorced two times. He's on his third yeah. marriage. <laughs> it's very yeah. interesting. Right. Here's the thing: I right. want us to take into account for our listeners. How do we call out a foul? So if somebody. Walks. I remember the scene from years and years ago, and I'll, I'll adjust it a little bit to, to protect people. So he's supposed to be babysitting. There's three triplets. She's out for her one night. He walks. She walks in. The place is a complete mess. He's laying on the floor. The little ones are using him as a trampoline. She comes in screaming, are you out of your mind? And he's thinking, that's the thanks I get? So... With that kind of a defamation, how does he call out the foul? How does that even happen? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I first of all, I, I would name that foul uh, contempt um, because she is showing some contempt. It's always best to call your own fouls when you can. Okay. Uh, that, you know, that, that gives you a... a <laughs> A lot of credit. A much, in the frame, of the a much other, better frame. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, just like in the basketball court, it's it's better to call your own fouls than to have <laughs> some other person call. But but yeah, uh, I I think when when you have to call somebody else's fouls, um, then then you may have to kind of go back at the beginning of this whole program and okay. yeah. you know. Shut off so the alarm first, and 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 start with uh, what you already agree on, and all that kind of thing. No, I, I Otherwise, agree with you. It, yeah. 
Because if you if you're being self-reflective, you're going to say, "Let me say that again," or "I think I was yeah. being defensive," or "I think I was being defensive," or "I'm so flooded I can't talk." That is, I like that idea. It makes so much more sense. If we're all being self-reflective to improve our communication, it it comes across to the other as very honest and authentic that you're trying. You just called me a pig, but you went, well, well, take that off the table. I don't, let me change that. Well, that, that's mm-hmm. a really good thing to happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely best to call your own fouls. Yeah. So we're going to have to take a break. But the, the idea of there being fouls and that they're being named, if we each think of them, if we're going to take responsibility, am I defaming the person? How defensive am I? Am I purposely stonewalling? I really have the words I don't want to speak. You know, or am I rolling my eyes and being contemptuous? Then we really start, everybody does start to take responsibility for making the marriage really workable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we're going to take a brief break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. And we're here with Keith Wilson, a psychotherapist and the author of Constructive Conflict. Build something good out of all those arguments. Come back, much more, to, much more to talk about. We're going to talk about repairing injuries and detecting dreams in our partner. Stay with us. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Join five-time world and international boxing champion, mental health advocate, writer, and speaker, Mia St. John, for In the Ring with Mia. After losing her ex-husband and son to mental illness, Mia has set out to empower those who deal with mental illness, homelessness, poverty, and addiction. Tune in and join Mia in the ring. And together, you'll find the help and motivation that you need. Listen live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you are working on your path to enlightenment, may we suggest another guide point to help you get there? It's Soul Healing Conversations with your host, Roz Kincaid. Roz and her guests are making this show a safe place to find balance, healing, and transformation. You'll learn how to manifest the best version of your life. Make sure you join Roz every week for Soul Healing Conversations, live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Hi, folks. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. So Keith and I were just talking at the break about a very important step, which is repairing injuries. So I'll give you the context. We're in the middle of a, I'm in the middle of a fight with my spouse, and I see a look on his face. I really see how very, very upset I have gotten him. Now, at this point, Keith, you say, make a repair, but I don't know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I mean is... uh First of all, don't do what most people do. <laughs> what most people do is um, they will hammer away at the same point they were trying to make before the other person began to object. And, of course, this gets them deeper and deeper into trouble. What they really need to do at that point is to 
step back and stop talking about the contents of, of their discussion and restore the relationship uh, in some kind of way uh, to to let your let your partner know that you're in this together. You know you you, you don't hate him. You're you want to work it out in whatever way you you say that to him. Um, now I you know I've tried to you know put words in people's mouths and you know tell them that you I love you and that kind of thing. But I this is really the kind of thing that that every every couple really has to develop on their own, and and they probably already have um, ways in which they they make repairs all the time. Um, it's often uh, a pretty good. Um, practice to uh, sometimes when I see people I'll um, I'll point out when one or the other is trying to make a repair of something that they said because quite often these repair attempts go undetected okay <laughs> um, right and and uh, it's important to realize when the, the partner is 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 trying to scale things back as it is important to scale things back yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So there, there are some people who will stop the argument and say, "Wait a minute, I'm, I'm, I'm upsetting you, and that's not my intention. What I really wanted." Right. And some, sometimes someone will touch somebody's hand. Some couples use Yuma very effectively to stop pain and hurt, and that's one mm-hmm. of their trademarks. Um, yeah. laughter, etc., and and but but you and you, it's. I think I agree with you. Every couple has their way of repairing, but I think what I like about what you do by including it in the book is you're saying if the conversation's a fight, it's going nowhere. Use your repair, slow it down, and then maybe you can restate it um, mm-hmm. from a different perspective that's less um, punitive or less defamatory. Just as we said before, in, in which you don't use one of the fouls, but you might even say, I really don't know how to say this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes a repair can be just as subtle as a tender look, uh, provided, you know, the partner notices that, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and a repair attempt is probably a good thing to try before you, you know, take up stonewalling, <laughs> okay? Um and it's definitely the thing to try before you, you start stalking your partner from room to room when he is stonewalling. Um, then some, sometimes it's a good idea to um, come up with phrases and words in advance um, that you know that you're going to say, like, uh, I love you, or I'm sorry, or that went badly, or, or whatever, so that you, you, have, them, you have them ready. Uh, at hand when you need them. You know, um, having done workshops for couples over all these years, if you'd have seen the couples um, on when they arrived on Saturday, they were usually uniform services. They were no one was sitting with each other. But by Sunday, hmm. everybody was sitting together. But it was very funny because they would sort of tease us, the trainers, because at times I would say things like, do you want to win or do you want to be married? And they would all scream, we want to hmm. win. And they knew that, of mm-hmm. course, that wasn't the right answer, but they'd gotten comfortable enough mm-hmm. in using kind of a, a joke about it. But you really, you're right. If couples could realize how much power their good feelings have in offsetting the difficult times, they can start to use them to slow down a conversation that's going to go nowhere or that's going to really escalate. So that that yeah. brings us sort of to compromise. You You say... Compromise is not necessary if you don't care about each other. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, there are actually a, a lot of um, a lot of um, alternatives to compromising, because really, when you compromise, nobody is happy. Nobody is getting everything that they want. Um, so every couple, they come up with their own way of of um, of settling. Um, conflicts when, you know, one of the problems with marriage is that there are two people and it's, it's easy to arrive at an impasse uh, on some things. 
So, you know, uh, some people, they uh, agree to have a traditional marriage where one partner has the final say, or they go with uh, whoever's the biggest expert on whatever topic is at hand, or or they alternate, or they... Uh, um, or, 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 or whoever cares the most about the issue uh, gets to have it their way. So if I want to go out for Chinese food and, my, uh, and I want Chinese food a whole lot and my wife just wants Indian food a little bit, we're probably going to go to Chinese because I care much more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's the way people usually settle things, except then quite often, you know, whoever's the biggest baby wins every, <laughs> every, every argument. <laughs> right. But so, so compromise is really not something that you, you should have to do an awful lot if you have other ways of, of figuring things out. Um, so it, it, it may be worthwhile to actually sit down and, and create, you know, write a constitution, so to speak, about how you're going to settle a lot of these arguments. Um, you know, if, if one party is, uh, has got a lot more experience with uh, accounting, well, maybe that person ought to be in charge of the books. If the other one has a lot of experience with, with raising children, well, maybe they should have the final say in things. With the, with the kids while consulting the other, of course. Mm. Um, yeah. one, of, one of the things that I think you mentioned, and I'll just add a word to it, and I think it plays a part in compromise, is detecting, and I would say protecting your partner's dreams. I think sometimes mm. you'll see a couple and people are going, I can't believe it. She skis every other weekend and he doesn't even, he can't or whatever. But then if you speak to these people, he'll say, Oh, that's been her dream her whole life to race, to be a ski racer. Oh, I would never mm-hmm. not want her to do that. So that sometimes from the outside, it may not seem like it's possible. But the compromises that couples make often have taken into account dreams that they realize their partner has, which is a wonderful part of marriages. And whether it means people mm-hmm. are away from each other for a month at a time or, you know, they live in the same uh, igloo in somewhere it's really got to do with can supporting the other's dream really work in our marriage some marriages end because the dreams are incompatible with the relationship yeah in in my experience uh, in loving relationships uh, people really um, support each other's dreams when they know what they are if, if your partner has a very closely held dream, something that, that they value very much, you're probably going to support that. So, but the one thing to, to, to realize is that a dream is like a destination, um, and you want to go there. But there are lots of routes to go there. And in fact, in order to get to your destination, you have to uh, take into account the the terrain. So, you know, if I want to go to a particular mountain and there is a lake in the way, you know, I got to drive around the lake. I can't go through the lake. I gotta, I, I, I gotta, I, I, I gotta respect whatever whatever existing in, in the world. So, if if you have a partner whose dream is is to be an Olympic skier, um, uh, you may want to um, support that. You, you, you may want to, to just uh, do everything in your power so that she can do that, but they all, you also have to take the terrain and the realities of the situation into account. Um, and you might come to the conclusion that you know, not going to become an Olympic skier. Then what you got to do is really dig in deep behind the dream and see just what what is it about skiing that that was so important. You know, is mm-hmm. it winning the Olympics or is it the you know the 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 um, carefree uh, way that you know you, you slide down a mountain? Okay, <laughs> right. Um, 
So you're saying the dreamer has work to do too. Not only does the partner yeah. have to consider the dream, the dreamer has to also take into account, is this marriage destructive, my dream? Yeah, and, and, is it, and am I so hell-bent on living out a particular dream a particular way that I am destroying my, my marriage, okay? Once you identify what it is about the scheme that really turns you on, you may find other ways of getting turned on that don't even involve the scheme. Okay, you know, we're just about out of time. It's it's a wonderful yeah. message. Um, yeah. so let me ask you, um, Keith, how could people find this book and your other books? I want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, well, they're, they're, uh, all my books are in Barnes & Noble and um, Amazon. And um, if you care about writers, you would buy from Barnes & Noble, by and, large, uh, by and large, because they support writers better. Uh, but... Buying from Amazon is better than not buying at all. That's for sure. Okay. Okay. I want to thank you again because you've given couples a way to stay in love even when they're trying to work out something that's not so easy. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast on my host site, my website, on all the app platforms. It'll be a podcast by 6 p.m. Eastern tonight. Remember to drop me a line at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Mostly until next week, keep each other safe. Thanks and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.